the word of God reads as follows. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. If you were expecting this morning to hear part two to last week's message, I'm sorry to disappoint. We're going to be in Joshua this morning. Um, I'll leave those hard texts for Pastor Tony. He can, he can cover that. Uh, but uh, we'll take a break for the next couple of weeks. And this morning we are in Joshua. Let's uh, go to the Lord and ask him for help. Father, we thank you this morning. Those are the only words that we can seem to muster up. For we are debtors to mercy, O Lord. Your mercy and your grace more, more than we can could imagine or think about, oh Lord. It brings us to our knees. It humbles us. It causes us to cry out with thanksgiving and with praise. Lord, because we know that our hearts are prone to wander. So we plead with you, oh Father. Bind our hearts yours. Father, we thank you for the word this morning, but you have not left us alone. So we pray for your help in giving us understanding, O oh Lord. I pray for your help, Lord. I always feel inadequate as I stand before your people, Lord. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would come, that it would not only fill me, but it would fill your people, O oh Lord that you would grant us understanding, that you would grant us wisdom to know what it is you would have us to do, that you would cause us to see Christ, that you would awaken within our hearts desire to know Christ and him alone. Lord, this is our prayer. We plead with you, come, Lord Jesus, come. Do your work. Bless this time, Father, for your glory. For your honor. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, I've been asked this question quite a bit, and I don't know if you've been asked this question, 
But have you ever desired to do something hard for God? I mean, I mean difficult. You ever, you ever sit in your seat at home as the word is going forth and just feel just uneasy, like you have to do something, you feel uncomfortable? Are you regularly, are you regularly finding yourself coming up against the logic of this world and instead of conforming in fear, you press through in courage because you prefer the logic of the kingdom? You ever, you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel uneasy like you need to be doing something hard for God? If that isn't you this morning, it should be. You know, it's pretty cliche and commonplace these days among preachers, among churches, to talk about the Christian life as not being comfortable, right? We know that. The Christian life is not about being comfortable with books like David Platt's Radical making the New York Times bestsellers list and with mission organizations around the country making a a huge emphasis and a push on taking the gospel to unreached people groups all around the world. We are witnessing a time when the perception is that there are people all around us doing hard and difficult things for God. I mean, there are church plants going on all over the place. It's the craze. Everybody wants to plant a church. Short-term and long-term missionaries being sent out to the field. People giving up, giving up their comfortable lives in the suburbs to, to witness and go and minister to the poor and to the disenfranchised among us. There are people doing hard things all around us, reducing their status of living because they want to give more to the kingdom. My question this morning, however, is for you. My question is for you. When was the last time you did something hard for God? Difficult. And what I mean by that is, when was the last time you did something that in the world's eyes would be considered foolish, but in God's eyes would be considered kingdom living, commonplace? Perhaps you think, well, God has not called me to do something hard. Or maybe you think that you're not mature enough to do anything hard for God. I don't know enough. I haven't been saved long enough to do anything hard for God. Some would say perhaps that I have already accomplished something hard for God. And so now I'm just resting on the success of that endeavor. I must tell you that all of those excuses are poor excuses. God calls us all to do something hard and difficult for the kingdom because that's kingdom living. This morning, we look at Joshua. Joshua, whose life was marked with hard and difficult callings. 
life of Joshua is just, it's a, it's a fascinating, Joshua lived a fascinating life. And we entered the story of his life this morning at perhaps one of the hardest calls that he received in his life. Moses, the leader of Israel, the leader that, the only leader that Israel had ever known has died. And God now is commissioning Joshua. He is appointing him to lead Israel into the promised land. And if you are just vaguely, just vaguely familiar with Joshua, which if you've spent any time in the church, you, I'm sure you've heard Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, all right? We are familiar with Joshua, but if you know a little bit about Joshua, perhaps you would say, well, this is the perfect position for Joshua. He is the right person for the job. This is what he's been trained for. This is what his whole life has been in preparation for. Certainly. Certainly this commission, this this job would not have been too hard for him. I mean, he had been leading all his life. He fought battles, won battles. I mean, this was Moses' assistant. Surely, surely success awaited him. No reason for fear. No reason to tell him to be strong and courageous. Joshua was already strong and courageous. At first glance, that would seem to be the case. But to know the life of Joshua is to know that this call would have left Joshua fearful. Fearful. You see, we are first introduced to Joshua, to the life of Joshua in in Exodus 17 where Moses calls on Joshua to fight against uh, Amalek. We later come to find out that Joshua has been Moses' assistant from a very young age. And, And Joshua, he has been amongst the people of Israel for some time. A lot has gone on in his life. He's seen a whole lot. He was, he was more than likely born into slavery in Egypt, right? Here's Joshua, born into slavery in Egypt, and he, he was there in his mother's arms as they crossed the Red Sea. He witnessed the miracles, and he, he was there as the people of Israel rejoiced at the salvation of their God as he led them from Egypt through the Red Sea on dry ground. This was Joshua's life. He also... He also grew up amongst the wilderness. He was in the harsh wilderness and saw the miracles of God, but he also saw the people of God complaining and grumbling. Even, even when God provided for them all that they needed, all that they wanted, God provided for them. He also grew up hearing the promise the promise of the land of Canaan. That one day, that one day God was going to give his people, the people of Israel, a land flowing with milk and honey. And this was going to be their land. And in preparation for the land, in in Numbers 13, God tells Moses, God tells Moses to take person, a man from each of the 12 tribes, and to go out and spy the land. 
to go out and spy the land. And so that is what Moses does. He picks one individual from each of the 12 tribes. And when he gets to the tribe of Ephraim, who does he choose? But Joshua. He chooses Joshua to go out and to spy the land. Well, these, well, these 12 men go out and spy the land and they come back bearing fruit and a report of what they have seen in the land. And upon this report, 10 of the men that were sent to spy out the land have a negative report. They're frightened by what they have seen. Listen, Moses, there are giants in the land. These are skilled fighters. They live in fortified cities. If we go up against the Canaanites, they are going to destroy us. We can't go up against these people. Did you notice? Did you notice that only said 10 people gave a bad report? God sent up 12 spies. There were two. There were two with a different report. Joshua and Caleb. They had a good report. They believed what God had said. It was a favorable report that they gave. And Caleb says this in Numbers 13 and 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Because... Because Joshua and Caleb trusted the promise of God, God told Joshua and Caleb that they were going to be the only ones who were going to make it into the promised land. Everyone else whom God had delivered from Egypt, who had crossed the Red Sea, they were going to die in the wilderness and not see the promised land. Well, when the people of God heard this, they were frightened. They were afraid. They said, wait, 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 wait. We changed our mind. We're going to go up against the Canaanites. Never mind. We we changed our mind. We're going to go and fight them. And so they gather a group of men and they go up to fight against the Canaanites. And what happens? The Canaanites destroy them. They destroy them. And the Canaanites have victory over the people of Israel. And the reason is, is because God did not go with them. They didn't believe the promise initially. They were frightened and they were scared. And so God was disciplining them for their disobedience. All those whom God had delivered from Egypt were now destroyed. And we open up the book of Joshua, right? Here's where we are right now. All the people that had come out of Egypt are now destroyed. And we open up the book of Joshua and we find Joshua being called to lead the children, the children of those whom God had led out of Egypt, out of slavery. He was called to lead these children who had grown up in the wilderness, called to lead a people who saw their Their parents die at the hands of the Canaanites whom they were going up against. This is who Joshua was getting ready to lead. He was getting getting ready to lead a people over the Jordan River who had only heard about the crossing of the Red Sea. These were the children of the people that crossed the Red Sea. 
They had, not, they had not seen it with their own two eyes, but they had just heard of the salvation of the Lord. This is the backdrop to Joshua's calling. Sure, he was a, a battle-tested leader. Sure, he was well-trained. Yes, he had seen and experienced the miracles of this great God. He saw all of the miracles that Moses performed in the wilderness. But here was God calling him to do something that no amount of training could have prepared him for. There had to be fear. fear. There had to be there had to be trepidation in Joshua. You can imagine his thought, well, will they even listen to me? I mean, Moses, our leader, is gone, the one that they have only listened to. Will they listen to me? How, how are we going to get across this Jordan? We don't have enough boats to cross this river. How are we going to do it? What about the walls that surround the city? Joshua, remember, spied out the city. He knew what was in the land. He knew about the fortified city. Fear. Fear gripped Joshua. This was a difficult calling. Well, if doing something hard for God, doing something difficult, if he calls us to do hard things, why Why does it produce such fear and trepidation even for the one who seems prepared for the calling? It seemed like Joshua would not be scared. This is what he was prepared for. Why does God call us to do hard things? There are two reasons. God calls men and women to do hard things so that he can show forth his glory and power by accomplishing what they can't do in their own strength. God calls men and women to do hard things so that he can show forth his glory and power by accomplishing what they can't do in their own strength. And secondly, so that his people would have an unwavering trust in his word. The God of the Bible is about showing forth his glory. He is about showing forth his glory. He is a God who is jealous for his name. His goal is his glory. His goal is that the whole earth would be filled with his glory. For the chief end of God is to glorify God and enjoy himself forever. This is his goal. Always. Always his glory. And God delights to show forth his power by commanding us to do what only he can bring about by his power. Look at what he tells Joshua in the second half of verse Two on through six. He says, Joshua, now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. 
from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. He tells Joshua to go and take the land, to go over Jordan, you and all this people, he tells them. Not because he is a skilled warrior, not because Joshua has developed all these battle skills and he has been battle tested because he is ready for the job. No, not because uh, they, they will outnumber the Canaanites when they go up against the Canaanites in Jericho. No, because God had given the land to them. God gave them this land. Here is God reminding, reminding Joshua and reminding us this morning that he is the sovereign ruler of the world. He has created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and they are subject to him. He's the king. He determines the kings. He determines who gets what land. He determines it. God is sovereign over all, and he rules in such a way that he receives maximum, maximum glory. Joshua, yes, this seems to be a daunting task. Yes, this is going to be hard, Joshua. Yes, I know you are scared and feeling overwhelmed. But remember, Joshua, I am about my glory and I am about my fame. I have given you the land, Joshua. I command you to do something hard for my glory, Joshua, so that the nations would bow down and worship me, Joshua. Doesn't the Bible speak about God being passionate about his glory? He desires to spread it. In Exodus 14 and 4, it says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Or in Isaiah 42 and 8, where the Lord says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God's goal is always his glory. The hard things God calls us to do in life are to show forth his glory and not ours. And not ours. Did you get that? Did you get that? God calls you to do something hard for his glory so that he can show off, not you. Joshua understood this. Joshua understood this. After they crossed the Jordan on dry ground because the Lord had stopped up the waters, Joshua uh, tells the people of Israel in chapter 4, in chapter 4, in verse 20, 23 through 24, he says this to the people. After they have crossed the Jordan on dry ground, as they, the people of Israel had, had come through the Red Sea on dry ground, this miracle, 
Joshua says this to the people. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. Listen here. Listen to why he did this. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Why did God perform that miracle? For his glory, so that all of the world would know that the Lord is mighty. Fear when we get, when we get start thinking and getting uneasy and wanting to do something difficult or hard for God, I fear we get caught up in our glory, in our own glory. And the questions and the the hesitations, they start running through our mind. What will people think of me? What will people think of me? How, How will people take this? What will this move do to my finances? Will I be a YouTube sensation? Will will people write a blog about me if I take this step? Or the opposite happens. You know what? I'm not skilled enough. I'm not skilled enough to do this. I don't know anything. I've only been saved for a couple of months. That is too hard for me to accomplish, to bring about. Get over yourself. It's not about you. Know that if God calls you to do something hard, to do something difficult, you best believe he is going to get the glory by showing forth his sovereign hand to bring it about. Not for your glory, but for his. You know something interesting? Did you know that Joshua is only listed three times in the New Testament? Joshua is only listed three times. And if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, where we read of the hall of faith, right? All these great people of God that have been throughout redemption history that God lists there in Hebrews chapter 11. You know whose name is not there? Joshua's name is not there. This this, this leader, this great leader of Israel who led the people over the Jordan, who led them into the promised land, Moses' long-time assistant, Joshua, not listed. But you know who is listed? You know who from the book of Joshua is listed in Hebrews chapter 11? Rahab. Rahab, the prostitute, is listed in the hall of faith. Did Rahab... Do something hard for God? You better believe she did. You better believe she did. And God chose to show forth his glory through a prostitute because he was concerned about his glory, not the glory of the person whom he was using to accomplish and to bring about something hard or difficult. God is about his glory. He displays his power by working to bring about the hard, unlikely, difficult, and impossible. 
God calls men and women like you to do hard things so that he can show forth his glory and power by accomplishing what they can't do in their own strength. This is what God did through Joshua. He is about bringing about his glory. We are also called to do something hard so that we would trust the word of the Lord. And we would trust the word of the Lord. The emphasis on the word of God in this commissioning of Joshua cannot be overemphasized enough. Too often, too often, we find ourselves listening too intently to our own voice or to someone else's voice instead of the word of God. And here is the Lord reminding Joshua that if he was going to succeed, if his way and path were to be right, he would need to have an unwavering trust and commitment in the word of God. Twice. Twice, the Lord gives Joshua these instructions. He says, only be strong and very courageous. Be care, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses' servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You know, but this isn't the first time Joshua has heard this, this commission. This isn't the first time he has heard these words when Moses in Deuteronomy tells him that he is going to be the one that is going to lead them into the promised land. We read these same words. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Here is God wanting Joshua to understand that it would be the word of God that would direct him. That it would be the word of God that would strengthen him. That it would be the word of God that would cause the people to listen to him. And that it would be the word that would remind him that God was always going to be with him. The word would direct him. God, God told Joshua not to turn from it, to the right or to the left. He was to be careful to follow it completely. No wavering. Do exactly as I say. No adding to it and no taking away. He was to follow it to a T. And so when, when they get to the Jordan River or when they get to the walls of Jericho, and God commands Joshua what to tell the people? Do you know what Joshua tells the people? Exactly what God told him to tell the people. He doesn't add to it. He doesn't take away. As you read through the book of Judges, Joshua over and over and over again is very careful, very careful to do just that, to follow the, the book of the law, to follow the words of God perfectly to a T reason is because jo Joshua was witness to the consequences when the word of God was not followed correctly. Joshua was there when Moses 
departed from the word of God and did what? He hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock for the water to come forth. Joshua was there and saw the consequences. That's why Moses was not entering into the promised land. Because he did not follow the word of the Lord. Or when the people doubted the word of the Lord, right? When the, word, when, the, when, the, when, when the Lord told the people of Israel that they would inherit the land and the spies came back and Joshua and Caleb said, let's go up against this city. They didn't believe the promises of God the first time. And we see what happened there. Not only would the word of God direct him, Joshua was there when Moses departed from the word of God. And we see that effect. So Joshua was very careful, very careful to make sure that he followed the word of the Lord because it was the word that was going to direct him. But not only do, do we see that the word of God directed him, but it would be the word of God that would cause the people, these people whom had only known Moses as a leader, to follow him. All this time, and here, here was this new leader. Here was, here was this new leader that the people were now to follow. And, and, and God says, let not the word of the law depart from your mouth. When, you're, when you speak, let your words be few and my words be many. The people of God would listen to him. This is what God told them. The people of God will listen to you, to you, Joshua, as long as you speak my words. Let the, the words of the, the law be on your lips constantly, day and night. And we see this after this commissioning. Joshua prepares the army, the battle, to go up and cross the, 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 the Jordan. And he gives them the word of the Lord. And here is how the people respond. They say, and they answer Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death, only be strong and courageous. The people followed Joshua because he spoke the word of the Lord to them. We see this again later in Joshua chapter 8, beginning in verse 34, where Joshua brings and gathers the people together and they, they read the word of the law says, and afterward he read, read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Joshua was to have the word continually on his lips so that the people of God would follow him and listen to him. You see, when they, went into, when they went into Jericho, they were no longer in the wilderness. Joshua did not have that face-to-face discussion with God as Moses had. He needed the direction of the word of God. Lastly, God wanted Joshua to understand that it would be the word of God that remind him 
that God would be with him wherever he went. That the God who was with Moses would also be with him. You know, there's an interesting account that takes place when we first are introduced to Joshua. Remember what we talked about? We're first introduced to Joshua in Exodus chapter 17 when he is going to fight against Amalek, right? Amalek comes to fight against the people of Israel and Moses says, call Joshua, send Joshua down to fight against Amalek. And this is the story where when when Moses was up on the mountain, when his hands were raised, the people of God, the people of Israel, Joshua was winning. But when his hands fell, right, they were losing. Here, after this wonderful victory, and so they come and they prop up uh, Moses' hands to keep his hands raised so that the Lord grants Joshua the victory. And after the victory, this is what God tells, to, um, tells Moses to tell Joshua. He says, Then the Lord says to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. In other words, Joshua, meditate on this, Joshua. Meditate on this day and night. Meditate how God worked among the people of Israel, remembering that how he showed forth his power, that he was with Moses. So he will be with you. Remember that God kept his promise, Joshua. I hope you notice the all or nothing here in this this passage. The all or nothing. There There is no halfway Day and night. Meditate on his word day and night. Do not let it depart from from your lips. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. It's an all or nothing. Be careful to do all according to what what the law commands. All of it. There is no turning to the right or to the left. God does not do partial. It's all or nothing. Hot or cold. He spits out the lukewarm. The charge to Joshua was to follow the word of the law fully so as to have an unwavering trust, an unwavering trust in the word of God. You know, when you hear about people doing just extraordinary things for God, right? Or, or they've, they, they've tried to do something or they've accomplished something and they're, trying to do something hard for God, you look at those people and you say, man, they're Bible people. They're Bible people. Their lives are marked by an unwavering commitment to the word of God because they recognize that as John Piper says, that is where the power is. That is where the power is. God calls us to do hard things so that we would trust his promises, follow him, and not turn from his word to the right or to the left. I am convinced. I'm convinced that if you are not doing hard things for God, if you are not doing something difficult, you have not begun to discover how valuable the word of God is. 
It is in those hard times that you see that the promises of God are true. Where we are able to recall his faithfulness from generation to generation to generation. And where you are able to remember that unless I go with the word of God, directed by God, with the word of God on my lips, I am destined to fail. With the power of God, with the power of God, I will have success. This is why Joshua, this is why God could command Joshua. He commanded him. He didn't just tell him three times, but he commanded him to be strong and always courageous. Because God was urging him to move with a trust in the word of God and a knowledge that his hope was in a God accomplishing what he had told him he would do. Doing hard things for God shows forth his glory. Remember? Shows forth his glory and not yours and causes you to place an abiding trust and faith and value in his word. But if I'm sitting where you're sitting, this is the question I would ask. Perhaps some of you are thinking it in your mind. But the question you're probably asking is, so, in order for me to do something hard for God, does that mean that I have to become a missionary? Does that mean that I must sell all of my possessions and give them to the poor? Does that mean that I need to plant a church? Does that mean that I need to give up my comfortable life in the suburbs and move to an impoverished area to help out and to minister to those in need? Is that the only way I can do something hard for God? Please hear me. Please hear me. Because this... Because this is what paralyzes a lot of people. That is not, that's not what I'm saying. Believe me, not everyone is called to go overseas and be a missionary. Not everyone is called. Some of you, you would go and you would cause more problems than, <laughs> than if you didn't go, okay? Not everybody is called to plant a church. I understand that. That's important to understand. But everyone is called to do something hard and something difficult for God. Everyone is called to love your enemy. Everyone is called to move in forgiveness towards someone who has wronged you. That is hard. That is doing something hard for God. If your definition of doing something hard for God is doing what would seem foolish in the world's eyes, but in the kingdom, it's common. 
So that means that if somebody strikes you on your right cheek and you turn around and, 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 and give them the other cheek for, you to, for them to strike, that is doing something hard for God because the world would say that is foolish. But in the kingdom, that's commonplace. Serving where there is a need and no one else is willing to do it. Speaking up at work when God's name is being blasphemed. Foregoing climbing the corporate ladder because it will mean you have more time to spend with your family and your church. Adopting a child when you've got five at home already because you know there is a need. Brothers and sisters, that is doing something hard for God. Yes, yes, we need people. We need people to go and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I I pray, I pray that you are itching in your seat right now saying, I want to go to take the gospel to the ends of the earth because God has called me that way and I want to do something hard for him. We need faithful churches preaching the gospel, not just here in Atlanta, but all around the globe. We need faithful preachers. So if you are saying, I want to go, yes, yes, go. God is glorified. God is glorified when I do something that in the eyes of the world is foolish, but in the kingdom makes sense. So I go and I share the gospel with my neighbor. The fact of the matter, brothers and sisters, is I give this message because we don't want pew sitters. Understand? Pew sitters. You just come and you sit and you don't do anything. God calls us to do hard and difficult things. And if you just come in to sit in a pew and you don't do anything else, you are not moving. You're not moving in the direction of doing something hard for God. And you're missing out on seeing him use you for his glory and you having an abiding and a faithful trust in his word. Remember, you don't see, you don't see the value of the word of God until God has called you to do something hard and you realize, you don't, you realize that apart from him empowering you through his spirit, apart from his word being your foundation, you will fail. Do something hard for God. That's my challenge to you today. But why do we do something hard for God? Why do we do it? Because God accomplished for us the hardest thing that he has ever called us to do. Namely, to be born again and to to defeat sin. This is what he called us to do. Be born again. Nicodemus asked the question, how am I to have eternal life? 
Jesus tells them, be born again. Impossible to do. Joshua may have been a great leader and did something hard for God in leading the people into the promised land, but he couldn't do ultimately what the people of Israel really needed, and that was a savior for their souls. Joshua couldn't do that. The people needed a leader who would be able to keep the law perfectly and give God maximum glory. We see in Joshua that, that, that Joshua did not keep the word faithfully. He messed up. He didn't keep it perfectly because when they went to go up against AI, they were defeated because they didn't consult the Lord. They didn't obey perfectly. They needed someone who was going to obey perfectly and give God maximum glory. Joshua and the land of Canaan would only serve as a foreshadow of the one who was to come. He would only be a foreshadow, a pointing to. So God came himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He kept the law perfectly. He paid the penalty for our sin and rose again victorious, sits on high, waiting to come back to bring us to the promised land. Bring us to the promised land. This is why we can do hard things for God. This is why God can command us to be strong and always courageous because we have given, been given the promise that our leader is coming to take us home. But until then, until then, we fight, we move, we press forward toward the hard things because we know that God delights to get glory in that. And we get to place a value and a trust, abiding trust in his word. Oh, there are wonderful leaders throughout all of Scripture. We could spend, we could take Joshua and do a leadership, a leadership training just on Joshua alone. He was a wonderful leader. Oh, but he was just a pointer. He was just a pointer. And yes, Joshua did hard things for God. But ultimately, he couldn't do the hardest thing that we all have been called to do. And that is to be born again. So God had to do it. God had to come and do it. And he did in Jesus. And all he asks of us to do this morning, and always, is to trust him. To trust him and to follow him. Turn from our wicked ways. Turn from our sin. Place our faith and our trust and our hope in him. And we can be confident and we can be assured that when Christ comes again, he will be the leader that takes us into the promised land. But until then, I, prom- I-, I challenge you this morning, do something hard for God. Do something hard. Amen? Let's pray.